0: I can't thank you enough for all of your support. I am so thrilled the Republicans will now hold the gavel in the People's House. And I'm thrilled to be representing you in that majority. It's our responsibility now. And my responsibility personally. A promise to you to be a good listener. To take a deep breath and help take the temperature down in D.C.
1: Yeah, if there's anyone that can take the temperature down in D.C., it would be Congressman Lauren Boebert. Well, do That'll go well. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck I am. in the middle with you. I am. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM In LA Also in California In Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI And Round Mountains KKRN Up in Oregon on the Central Coast On KYAQ Cottage Grove's KSO And Eugene's KEPW Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WL, no, not WLRI, now it's WNews, WNUZ, in Lanchester, Pennsylvania. Oh boy. Uh, we're also heard in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, and Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF, half of which are covered with snow today. I think there's a blizzard uh, going across the country. It's lovely here in L.A. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on the Internet, on so the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, Nicole Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk and all your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing, Planet, Earth. Five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker and all around swell fellow says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Boy, there's a lot of stories, Desi Doyen, that I'm trying to make sense of, that I'm trying to figure <laughs> out today. Um, uh I even called a journalist in one of the states that I hope to be covering to ask him if he could help me understand this particular story He's, nope I'm just as confused about it as you are he told me wow <laughs> So anyway, we're going to do our best. We will work through this together somehow and uh, maybe make some sense of it all by the time we're done. OK, that's a goal. Or maybe not. <laughs> anyway, uh, the first story that I don't know what to make sense about, uh, make sense of is uh, this big announcement on Tuesday that scientists have finally achieved nuclear fusion in a lab which, uh, similar to the way the Sun itself creates energy, sort of smashes atoms together to produce more energy than was used in the process of the fusion. Is that a generally correct explanation, Desi Doyen? Yes,
2: yes, that is.
1: Now, in theory, that means, I think, that eventually we could have unlimited, clean, carbon-free energy by using nuclear fusion, presuming scientists can figure out how to both increase the energy output from this process and how to harness the process to make it commercially viable for consumer energy production. Do I have that part right so far? Yes,
2: that's a really good summary so far. Now,
1: by the way... With the
2: emphasis on the word eventually, but yes, that
1: Eventually, they'll be able to maybe harness it for commercial viability. Now, uh, I've already heard from some folks who are worried that, oh, this is a terrible idea, it's going to leave all sorts of nuclear waste, we can't do anything about it, it's very dangerous. I don't think those folks who I've heard from uh, explaining that to me, are entirely correct. That
2: is, that's that's my understanding yeah. as well, that that is not correct. It will not generate a lot of radioactive waste, which is what we're accustomed to with conventional fission, which is splitting atoms nuclear with conventional f- nuclear fission plants. Fission
1: versus nuclear fusion, which, which what we're talking about here. Which
2: unites uh, two hydrogen atoms fusing them together, and that process creates a lot of heat. So it's a containment of the heat that that's made, and it uses only, like I said, two hydrogen atoms 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 that are Mm -hmm. uh, pretty abundant, um, and that it does not create or generate a lot of radioactive waste. In fact, it seems minuscule in comparison to what we're accustomed to with conventional nuclear plants.
1: At least that's the theory. In other words, uh, and, and we'll have more on our Green News report a little bit later, but this seems to absolutely be a milestone, whether it can be made viable commercially, et cetera, It definitely seems to be a milestone for the fusion process, which every few years it seems like they come out and say, oh, we figured it out, but then they haven't. This right. time, it seems like they have, even if it could be decades before it actually can be tapped as a consumer energy supply.
2: Yeah, correct. I mean, it's been a running joke for decades now mm-hmm. that, oh, nuclear fusion is 10 years away for like 50, 60 years now. But this 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 is actually a very big deal, a very accurate and Mm -hmm. true way to characterize it as a scientific breakthrough that uh, eventually can lead to these uh, these benefits for humanity.
1: Yeah, eventually. That said, it already seems to be freaking out the fossil fuel boys. Now, I receive a lot of uh, notes from PR outfits who are pitching guests to me. I almost never respond to them. Almost all of them, by the way, are from right wingers in various forms. Why they're trying to pitch themselves on my show, I don't know. But here's one that I received today. Subject line, available for comment on nuclear fusion announcement. (laughs) So they seem to have misspelled announcement, but as it turns out, I think this company is apparently Canadian, so maybe announcement is the correct (laughs) Canadian way to spell it. I don't don't think so, but it's
2: off to a great start.
1: So uh, the letter uh, begins, hi. That's how the impersonal greeting begins. Uh, Craig Golanowski, managing partner of Calgary-based Carbon Infrastructure Partners, I wonder what sector of uh, the energy market carbon infrastructure partners may be most concerned about. (laughs) Uh, So Craig Alanowski has been invested in the energy sector for decades and has recently been ringing the alarm bell that lawmakers turning their backs on fossil fuels... And being overconfident on renewables will have dire consequences. And we are all witnessing now with the uh, as we are all witnessing now with the energy crisis in the UK and more generally worldwide. With the recent nuclear fission milestone of finally achieving net energy, it showcases how truly difficult true breakthroughs in energy are when measured by net energy. So why even try, I guess, <laughs> seems to be the message here. Additionally, there is plenty of research showing that solar projects and hydrogen projects in Canada and Europe are still a net energy sink, showcasing the importance of fossil fuels in today's environment. Um, Uh, And and by the way, I don't know if uh, using the word environment there is the best word for them to use when talking about fossil fuels. But uh, is it true that uh, these solar projects are actually energy sinks (laughs) somehow?
2: No, not at all. Not in the least. That's a lie.
1: Craig, the uh, dude they're trying to pitch to me to have on the show, has addressed the House of Commons. Standing Committee on Environment and Sustainable Development in Canada to discuss fossil fuel subsidies and examine CCS, that's Carbon Capture and Storage Policies.
2: Subsidies. Note he wants subsidies from the taxpayer to do
1: this. Correct. He says, uh, and some of the takeaways he notes, it is impossible to reach net zero by 2050 without fossil fuels and attempting to reach 2050 goals without fossil fuels raises serious risks for policymakers in their ability to sustain long-term public support required for climate action. So has anyone actually discussed net zero carbon emissions in 2050 without fossil fuels, he seems to be suggesting. The idea that we're going to get rid of all Fossil fuels by 2050
2: We are not, um, at least not at our cur- Current current uh, trajectory yeah. Our rate of change right now Fossil fuels power a lot of things that we don't have Replacements for yet, like jet fuel And you know steel production That, uh, that requires thermal coal But there's a lot that will continue To require fossil fuels until we can Develop alternatives to that so, That don't do it, so they're basically lying There is no one who says we're going to Get to net right. zero without fossil fuels So he's
1: being misleading when he's saying uh, this, this idea of 2050 net zero without fossil fuels is crazy talk.
2: It's a straw man that doesn't exist.
1: Doesn't exist. He also another one of his takeaways here uh, without sufficient investments in the energy sector and technologies such as CCS, that's carbon capture, energy prices will continue to spike. (laughs) Notice that. Energy has uh, now become simply fossil fuels. I think. Correct. In his description, and uh, governments, well, they better give it, give more money to big fossil fuel, or the economy gets it. Kind of the message I'm taking here. Yeah. Uh, energy prices and pain in the UK are a testament to that. He says we'd be happy to uh, put you in touch with Craig to discuss any oil and gas, climate, carbon, net zero, nuclear, fission or renewable energy stories you may be working on. So they include nuclear fission, not fusion, mm-hmm. fission, the dangerous one uh, in that in that list of uh, things that in that list of energy, that's energy, this other other stuff, uh, wind, solar, That
2: doesn't count. No, that's just uh, playing around. And to be clear, the reason energy prices are spiking in the U.K. and in the United States is because the price of natural gas, which is a commodity controlled by private interests, they can raise the price to the market as much as they want. That's the reason why energy prices are rising. Solar and wind, the fuel is free.
1: Well, let me add this. The energy prices are not necessarily rising for fossil fuels. We will have big, more on the, the the big fossil fuel scams in the Green News Report a little bit later. But uh, as to the price of fossil fuels these days, aside from the possible nuclear fusion breakthrough, uh, actually bad news today, it seems, for both big fossil fuel and the Republicans who love them. Uh, Since I know they all, uh, you know, they have all sorts of detailed plans to uh, the Republicans to deal with rising gas prices and inflation when they take over the narrow majority in the U.S. House in January. (laughs) They don't really, Um, because, you know, they certainly complained about gas prices and inflation during the midterm campaign. So it would be really embarrassing, you know, if all they had to do next year was talk about Hunter Biden's laptop and how mean and unfair they've uh, convinced themselves that Twitter has been to them. Anyway, as AP reports, gas prices... Gasoline,
2: yes, that's uh, with a difference. <laughs> yes,
1: uh, have uh, once again dropped sharply around the U.S. as demand remains slow. Supplies continue to increase. Now, I know that can't be correct because we were told by Republicans that Joe Biden has stopped all of the drilling. Uh, uh, you know, so I don't know how this can be that uh, supplies continue to increase. It must be a Christmas miracle. <laughs> AAA finds that a year ago at this time in December of 2021, before Russia's invasion of Ukraine helped to spike the global gas and uh, natural gas, gasoline, oil prices and everything else that had already been spiking thanks to profiteering big oil companies who had already raised prices as the globe was struggling to come out of the COVID pandemic, well, a year ago this month, The average price for a gallon of gas in the U.S. was $3.33. Today, one year later, the national average price for a gallon of regular gasoline is $3.31. So
2: it's lower than it was this time last year. It's
1: two cents lower than last year at this time before the Russia war on Ukraine. And it is down 13 cents from the uh, previous week's average. Uh, So it is falling. And now it's much higher here in California, of course, because it always is due to our higher gas taxes. But uh, point being, gas prices are now lower than they were a year ago, before Russia's war in Ukraine blew up the global energy markets. Now, despite any U.S. president's ability to directly raise or lower the price of gas. Republicans blame Joe Biden for the high price of gas, as you may recall, amid big oil profiteering and Russia's war on Ukraine over the past year. So does Joe Biden now get credit for having lowered gas prices? Or is it only the president's fault when prices go up, but he has nothing whatsoever to do with it when prices go down? And or does that only apply uh, that rule only applies to Democratic presidents? Bingo. Pretty much. We know all the answers, I think, to all of those clearly rhetorical questions, though. I suspect those folks who, you know, who put those stickers on the gas pumps with a photo of Joe Biden pointing at the price Mm -hmm. saying I did that. I bet they're probably peeling those stickers off right now. as Just about as quick as they possibly can. Analysts say gas prices will likely continue to drop in the coming weeks, though maybe not as sharply as in recent weeks, thanks to the decision by OPEC Plus, which is largely led by Saudi Arabia and Russia at this point to continue cutting oil production in hopes of raising global prices. As noted, more on big oil opportunism and their deadly skullduggery in our Green News report with the delightful Desi Doyen a little (laughs) bit later this hour. Yep. Uh, But that's not the only good news for the economy and for Joe Biden today, at least for anyone out there who blamed Joe Biden for everything that they did not like previously about the economy, including gas prices and, yes, inflation despite the limited effect any president actually has on those things. U.S. consumer prices rose less than expected for a second straight month in November, resulting in the smallest annual increase in inflation in 15 months, giving the Federal Reserve now cover to start scaling back the size of its interest rate hikes that have been implemented over the past year in hopes of cooling inflation without somehow tanking the economy and sending us into a recession. The Consumer Price Index readings for last month reflected declines in the cost of gasoline, declines in the cost of health care, declines in the cost of used cars and trucks, and more, according to the Labor Department on Tuesday. The Consumer Price Index, or CPI, Increased just 0.1% last month. The uh, month before, in October, it was 0.4% increased. Uh, So it is increasing much less. Gasoline prices dropped 2% and the cost of natural gas fell. As did prices for electricity.
2: Yeah, that's great. Although I will say that uh, utility companies set the rate that their ratepayers pay. So, sure, natural gas prices may be dropping on the global market today, mm-hmm. but. The utility industry, like, say, Duke Energy in North Carolina, they just announced that they're going to be raising their rates on their consumers Mm -hmm. because they signed contracts back when the price was higher. Mm -hmm. So for some people who have to uh, use natural gas for their heating or heating oil, uh, prices are probably going to be painful this winter based on the previous price when those contracts were signed.
1: Economist Christopher Rupke Uh, told Reuters, quote, it looks increasingly like inflation has reached a turning point where price increases are falling or little change for many categories of goods and services that consumers buy. For the first time, he added, we can say the Fed is winning its war on inflation. So not Joe Biden, I guess, but the Fed. It's only Joe Biden's fault when uh, inflation is going up, apparently. Economists polled by Reuters had forecast the CPI would gain 0.3%. That is actually three times what the CPI index actually rose by last month. Consumer prices rose 7.1% in November compared to a full year ago. That was down sharply from 7.7% the month before in October and the recent peak back in June of just over 9%. It was the fifth straight slowdown in that monthly index. All told, the latest figures provided the strongest evidence to date, as AP reports it, that inflation in the U.S. is steadily slowing from the price acceleration that struck first about 18 months ago and reached a four-decade high earlier this year. The still high core inflation readings, however, have left economists anticipating that the Fed will continue to tighten monetary policy for a while, even as they slow the pace of the rate increases. President Biden welcomed the decline in gas prices and the moderation in the cost of food ahead of the holiday season, noting in a statement, quote, make no mistake, prices are still too high. But things are getting better headed in the right direction. So there's that. And I'm sure the Republicans will be singing his praises for it (laughs) after all of these months of blaming him for uh, everything. Uh, Now, uh, moving on to a different topic here, if uh, yesterday's uh, (laughs) program detailing the whole bunch of of 2022 election contests, uh, lawsuits that were filed by Republicans in Arizona, if that didn't make it clear, well, yeah, we are still not done with coverage of the 2022 election. There are some lawsuits and some recounts, et cetera, still underway in a number of places, including in Arizona, where one of those lawsuits we covered on yesterday's broadcast, the one that was filed by the Republican attorney general candidate Abe Hamaday, who was certified as having lost the race last month by just 511 votes out of two and a half million cast to Democrat Chris Mays, I was pointing out that that lawsuit, at least, was not insane with a 511 vote margin. Unlike the sore loser lawsuits that I expect to be laughed out of court filed uh, by last Friday by losing GOP gubernatorial candidate Kerry Lake and losing GOP secretary of state candidate Mark Fincham in the Grand Canyon state. Meanwhile, In Colorado, the recount across 26 counties in the western part of the state, sort of the western and southern part of the state, in the U.S. House race in Colorado's 3rd Congressional District between far-right loon Lauren Boebert and Democrat Adam Frisch, that recount is now complete. State law requires automatic recounts when a race is within... 0.5% or less of the total votes cast for the winner of the race. The uh, certified margin in this case was just over 0.1%, one-tenth of one percent in this race. So uh, as it turns out, the recount is done. It did not change the ultimate results. That's not entirely a surprise, of course, because in Colorado— They recount elections by the same method that the ballots were originally tallied. So in all but one of the counties that comprise Colorado's third district, huge third district, uh, the original hand marked paper ballots were tallied by optical scans. Uh, There was only one county where hand counts were carried out on those ballots uh, for the original election. And so they did so again in the recount, which is kind of crazy. Kind of crazy that they just trust the same computers to do it all over again. Nonetheless, on Monday night, uh, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold declared the recount to be over after Boebert netted a loss overall of just three votes and Frisch picked up just one vote. The final difference between the two was 546 votes out of more than 325,000 that were cast. And because the Republican ended up winning that recount by that tiny margin, there were no death threats, there were no armed insurrections against election officials, at least as far as I know. In fact, Frisch said in his statement, quote, while we hoped for a different outcome, we defied incredible odds with the closeness of this race and delivered a moral victory for the people of Colorado's third district, many of whom crossed party lines to reject extremism with their vote. Indeed, this would have been a remarkable upset had it it happened. And it was really close to happening. Pretty much every one of the Professional election forecasters out there had, you know, listed this particular. They didn't even look at this race. Yeah, they wrote it off. Easy win for Republicans column, uh, or solidly Republican, I think, is the way Cook Political Report uh, described it. Because Republicans hold a huge nine point advantage in this enormous district across all of Western Colorado. But. Given all of that, Lauren Bobert did really, really poorly. She said in a video announcement posted to Twitter, quote, We've won this election as expected, and I'm headed back to represent you in Washington, D.C. But after this close call, according to Colorado Public Radio, the uh, firebrand Boebert tried to strike a more concili- conciliatory note. Now that Republicans hold the majority in the chamber, promising to, quote, be a good listener, take a deep breath and help take the temperature down in D.C.
2: Yeah, I'm sure she's going to get right on that.
1: I know she will. She's going to calm everybody down. She's always been a calming influence in Congress, (laughs) I've noticed. Uh, In her first term in office over the past two years, she used the politics of outrage to raise the temperature. In fact, she insisted on carrying a gun in the Capitol. She heckled President Biden as he spoke about his dead son. I think that was during the State of the Union address, if I recall. And the Congresswoman has routinely made national headlines for her anti-LGBTQ rhetoric, her take on separation of church and state, her attacks against Democrats, and, of course, her support for President Trump. Uh, and his false claims that the 2020 election was stolen from him. Uh, All of that instead of, you know, issues that might help her own district in Colorado. With all of the House races from the midterm elections now finally called, Republicans are projected to have a nine-seat majority in the new Congress next month. They will have 222 GOP members to the Democrats 213 members. So um the uh the 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 losing Democrat here in Colorado Adam Fresh he has already filed paperwork to run for the seat once again in 2024.
2: Good. Hopefully he can find 546 people who will turn right? out on top of the original voters who turned out but for no, him. no,
1: exactly. I I mean I mean
2: every vote literally matters. I know
1: and I'm thinking of the 547 Coloradans that did not send back their ballot. They do almost all mail ballots in uh, in Colorado. The 547 of them who didn't send them back because they thought, oh, well, you know what? Boebert's probably going to win anyway. It's just a waste of my time. So uh, thanks to everyone who voted in Colorado. No thanks to those 547 <laughs> who didn't. Uh, And guess what? Uh, That race was not even the closest in the country. Not by a long shot, uh, nor even the most important one, really. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back with uh, a few more even uh, closer contests. Sort of, with potentially larger consequences that uh, have now been decided or are still in the process of being decided. I mentioned there was uh, s- some stories that I'm trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. One of them is coming up. That and more is ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Because we're going to talk about close elections. Yes. I see what you did there. Welcome back to the broadcast. (laughs) Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay. So, aside from uh, Democrats successfully defending all of their seats in the U.S. Senate this year and even picking up a seat from Republicans to retain their majority in the next Congress, in the Senate, um, Something that hasn't that has not been done by a party that controls the White House since nineteen thirty four. That they have held on to every single Senate seat. Uh, That alone hasn't been done since 1934, and then they picked up a seat as well. That just does not happen in midterm elections in general for the party in power in the White House. And then they lost just nine seats in the U.S. House. Now, that's enough to lose their very narrow majority, but the average pickup for the party not in power In the White House during midterms, the the first midterm of a new president is about 30 or more, 30 or more pickups, some Republicans, including potential Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. I say potential. We'll see if that actually (laughs) happens. He declared, I think, that that Republicans were likely to pick up as many as 60 seats in the House during the midterms.
2: Instead, they got nine.
1: Nine. Womp womp. Democrats around the nation, meanwhile, had an impressive midterm election. They picked up or held majorities in a whole bunch of state houses around the country, including in a number of uh, swing states. That, too, does not usually happen for the party that controls the White House and especially both chambers of Congress. Democrats maintained their legislative majorities that were threatened in Colorado, Maine and New Mexico, and they won a supermajority in Vermont. In Maine... Though I think I've mentioned it before, but I do enjoy uh, mentioning this again. Uh, (laughs) Democrat Janet Mills, the governor, easily defeated the uh, former. Uh, dumbest governor in the nation, Paul LePage. He's still dumb. He's just no longer the governor. Uh, he was hoping to have a comeback uh, with this race. He, he didn't, and I think he's now been rejected twice in a row by Maine voters. So We'll see if he takes the hint. That's good. Yeah, right. Also, uh, Democratic governors in red states like Laura Kelly in Kansas one re election this year. Democrats also prevented Republicans from gaining veto proof majorities in the state legislatures in North Carolina and Wisconsin, which each have Democratic governors. So, you know, keeping them from uh, being able to veto those uh, Democratic governors is a very good thing that reduces the chances of those states, for example, passing anti abortion legislation. In Michigan, Democrats flipped control of both the state House and the state Senate, which is huge, with a Democratic governor there, Gretchen Whitmer, winning her reelection. And that creates a Democratic trifecta in the state government for the first time in 40 years, beginning in January in Minnesota. Democrats flipped control of the state Senate from red to blue, establishing a Democratic trifecta in that state for the first time since 2014. In Maryland, Democratic gubernatorial candidate Wes Moore will be the state's first black governor after easily besting Trump backed Dan Cox to turn the state's governor's mansion from red to blue, giving Democrats a trifecta in Maryland as well. And they did the same in Massachusetts, where popular outgoing Republican Governor Charlie Baker will be replaced by Democrat Maura Healey, the first woman elected to represent the state as governor, giving Massachusetts a trifecta as well. With Democrats now in charge of both the House, uh, 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 both houses of the legislature, and uh, the governor's mansion in Massachusetts, Maryland, Minnesota, and Michigan. That all happened this year in a midterm election. Where that sort of thing never happens. But one of the races in Massachusetts, in the Massachusetts House, was only just determined by a recount that has flipped a state House of Representatives election from a Republican incumbent to a Democrat. Democrat Kristen Kastner won against her Republican opponent Lenny Mira, who is a five-term incumbent, after a recount that uh, shrank the original narrow vote deficit to just one single vote in a coastal district between Boston and New Hampshire. Before the recount, the Republican Mira led the Democrat Kastner—I'm uh, sorry, Kastner—by by, uh, by uh, ten votes. Out of more than 23,000 ballots cast on November 8 in this uh, midterm election, the 10-vote deficit by the Republican—no, no, I guess the deficit would be by the Democrat, the Republican led by 10 votes. Well, that was easily within the legal threshold for a recount. Uh, and last month, Massachusetts Secretary of State Bill Galvin ordered one. In that case, it was a hand recount. Unlike what we saw in Colorado in Lauren Boebert's case, unlike what we're seeing in Arizona in the attorney general's race there. Well, after officials recounted the votes in question by hand late last week, the results emerged as 11,763 to 11,762. Yes, Kastner, the Democrat, came out by literally... The smallest possible margin as the winner (laughs) by one single vote after being down by 10. So I guess she picked up eleven uh, net.
2: Wow! I, I have a quick question. Does yes. that mean that the count, the race, was originally counted by machine, and so when human eyes looked upon it, the human <laughs> eyes discovered that hey, the machines, you know, got it largely correct, but we mm-hmm. still needed to double check the machine count, and look what we found.
1: Yeah, that's essentially what happened. A lot of times, there they optical scan these scanners in uh, in Massachusetts, and a lot of times the machines. Just miss a vote. It's too light to be read by the scanner, but human eyes look at it and have no problem seeing it. Or it's a check mark instead of a filled in bubble. And uh, depending on the setting of the scanners, you know, the scanners may have a setting that uh, X number of pixels must be filled mm. inside of a dot. And if they check that instead of filling it in with a bubble, it might not get counted. But if you look at their ballot, you see, oh, look, they, they didn't fill in any of the choices. They put a check mark in each of the races.
2: So, gosh, it makes sense to hand count stuff.
1: Don't it? <laughs> in response to the outcome, uh, the Republican, Mira, said that he will quote, absolutely challenge the result in court, according to the Boston Globe. He told the Globe, quote, some ballots were filled out in pencil. Some were filled out with different colored ink, which, by the way, can make it difficult for the scanners to read them. Some had stray marks. Some had a name written in the write-in and then an oval filled out as well. I can't tell if he's uh, suggesting he wants to challenge those particular, you know, a lot of people do that. They'll write uh, they'll fill in uh, uh, the bubble for Joe Biden and then down in the write in box, they'll also write the name Joe Biden. Well, Hmm. a lot of Republicans like to throw out those votes because they don't strictly follow the law, even though it's clear who the voter 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 actually intended.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So they throw it out on technical issues.
1: Uh, So uh, I guess he believes there's something to challenge there. Listen, if it's a one vote margin, I welcome his challenge uh, to the nth degree so that by the time we're done with the process, everyone feels that everyone got a full shot uh, at this. So it could still change. Kasner, the Democrat, according to The Globe, meanwhile, said, quote, I feel the process unfolded like it should. We will see what comes when it comes next. We are uh, not suspicious of anything that happened, she added. The recount was really was just really just to ensure that between humans and machines, we really caught every vote that was counted.
2: What a concept.
1: Yeah. So voters in Massachusetts, at least, can have a bit more confidence because human beings looked at this instead of what we saw in Lauren Boebert's race in Colorado and. The AG's race underway in Arizona. It is impossible to know if these computers counted these ballots correctly, unless humans actually count them by hand to make sure. The new results in Massachusetts will now go to Republican Governor Charlie Baker and a gubernatorial council for review. Should the recount go unchanged, Democrats will hold 133 of the 160 House districts come next January. So the balance of the Massachusetts House did not hang on this race by any way, shape or form. It's like 133 to 10 100 uh, to uh, to 27 or something like that. That's how democratic the house is. Uh, but they had a gain of four seats there compared to with what they uh, started the last session with at the beginning of 2021. And then there's Pennsylvania, where in addition to flipping a U.S. Senate seat from red to blue with Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman's defeat of Trump, Powell and TV doctor Mehmet Oz and the election of the Democratic Attorney General Josh Shapiro to become the state's new Democratic governor taking over from a Democratic governor, term limited Tom Wolf. Uh, Democrats also flipped control of the state House. Sort of, if by the barest of margins, and even that may still be in dispute. Democrats won literally just enough seats to take the state House of Representatives uh, back, uh, the majority back after 12 years in the minority there. Democrats flipped a net of 12 districts. That is the precise number that they needed to control the House by 102 to 101 seats at the start of the session, the new session, officially in January. But depending on some upcoming special elections and the legal battles over them, that could change. For one, it follows the death of one candidate who won his election even after having died back in October, and two other re-elected incumbents who also won higher office in November. I guess they allow them to be on the ballot twice in uh, in Pennsylvania. The top-ranking Republican in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives has now asked a court to prevent voters from filling those three vacant seats in February. And those three seats would ultimately determine majority control of the chamber because, you know, this is so close. 102 to 101, minus one dead guy, uh, Democratic dead guy, minus two Democrats who are moving on to another uh, higher office. Republican um, uh, 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 Representative Brian Cutler of Lancaster, who served as Speaker until November 30 has asked the Commonwealth Court to issue an injunction on holding these elections in February for these three vacant seats. Cutler's filing comes came days after his Democratic counterpart as Florida Florida, as floor leader, <laughs> that would be Representative Joanna McClinton of Philadelphia, after she claimed the mantle of the, geo, of the Chambers presiding officer. After the previous session had ended, and she then the very next day sent orders scheduling the elections for all three of those candidates on February 7. Now, I believe what happened, and I've been trying to figure this out all day, I believe what happened was the day before, on the last day of the previous session... That's when the then House Speaker, a Republican, said, well, we will have the election for the one dead guy, but not for the other two who have resigned now because they are going and to are be sworn to into higher, higher office. office. Right. right. So, so and by the way, Clinton McClinton, who is black, she'll be the first woman of either party to be a floor leader in the chamber's 246 year history. That's good. If she actually becomes... The leader. So uh, one here's what happened. One uh, successful Democratic incumbent was Representative Tony DeLuca of Allegheny, Allegheny County. He died at age 85 of cancer just a few weeks before voters then went and returned him for another term anyway. So how bad was the living Republican that <laughs> voters? Selected uh, the dead Democrat instead? Well, maybe that question answers itself. DeLuca, who passed away, he won this race after having died weeks earlier. He won the race with 86% of the vote. His living challenger got 14% of the vote. So um, that's uh, one of the races that, uh, one of the seats that now needs to be replaced. In the other two cases, the other two Democrats, Uh, who resigned last week ahead of being sworn in next month uh, as lieutenant governor in one case and as a member of Congress in the other. So now, who actually has the majority in the the, the working majority in between the two terms? That is what this fight is about, and that's what the Republican is saying, no— Democrats at this point only have 99 members and the Republicans have 101, at least who are expected to participate in swearing in day on January 3rd. So it's all really confusing about who is in charge, who uh, is allowed to set the dates for these special elections. Eventually it should all be sorted out. Democrats will eventually have a majority, but do they have one now? Well, McClinton is saying, yes, we do. She's saying she's the working uh, floor leader. Yeah, that um, because this was done before when a Republican took over after a House speaker had died, Uh, as sort of the working House speaker, the temporary House speaker. That's what she is claiming to say, well, I'm the House speaker. The previous session has ended. The new one has begun, even though people haven't been sworn in. And
2: this is how we did it last time. this is how we did
1: it last time. So I'm the speaker for now, the interim speaker, and I am uh, asking the Secretary of State to call these elections on this date. So that's what's going on Sort of, if that makes any sense, in, uh, in Pennsylvania. We still don't really know who is in charge if, in fact, the Democrats have flipped that statehouse. But it looks like they will have eventually, at least by sometime in, uh, in February or so.
2: Unless the Republican succeeds in getting those special elections not to happen.
1: Well, or to push them
2: back even or further. something like yeah, that.
1: See. Yeah. So at this point, it's unclear if the Democrats are even going to have enough uh, b- uh, votes when they get sworn in January 3 to be able to uh, even select a Democrat House speaker. So it is a mess. And I, I called a reporter uh, in Pennsylvania who he didn't understand what the hell was going (laughs) on either. So AP has been reporting this. Uh, Papers like Philadelphia Inquirer have cut back their uh, coverage of uh, reporters in, in Harrisburg. So AP is covering it. But it is tremendously unclear. But it might be tremendously unclear if only because it actually is unclear. And we're in uncharted territory here. So, yes, still covering election 2022 and we will to the bitter end, no doubt. (laughs) Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyne in the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Okay, so we laid down our Green News report today before uh, Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Green, Granholm. Yes. Greenhold. What is it? Granholm. Thank you. Yes, Uh, former
2: governor of Michigan. I know,
1: but she's Canadian. I don't even know how they let her be a secretary. Anyway, (laughs) we uh, uh, recorded this prior to her official announcement, which we have since recorded and we will share with you. Concerning the uh, nuclear fusion after today's Green News report.
2: The Keystone Pipeline rupture leaked nearly 600,000 gallons of crude oil into a creek. Yep, the Keystone Pipeline spills again, this time in Kansas. We can't solve the climate crisis if we don't solve the climate misinformation crisis. Surprise! Big oil is greenwashing and deceiving the public. Plus...
1: Fusion jams them together By basically creating a star in a box.
2: U.S. scientists reportedly achieve nuclear fusion breakthrough.
1: All those breakthroughs and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyen.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. A so-called zombie virus has been revived after 50,000 years trapped in the Siberian permafrost. Hey, science, I got something for you to study next. Why the f*** you would do that? Knock it off, science. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Dizzy Doyen, I'm very excited to get to the fusion story, (laughs) but first... What do you know? The Keystone Pipeline spills again.
2: Yes, in northern Kansas, officials say crews have contained an oil spill on the Keystone Pipeline that late last week dumped nearly 600,000 gallons of crude oil into a creek.
1: Let me just point out that they always lowball the first estimate. 600,000 gallons? Yep. Probably going to turn out to be a lot more. But anyway, press on
2: probably will. This is on the existing Keystone Pipeline that transports heavy tar sands crude oil from Canada and not its controversial twin, the Keystone XL, which was terminated when President Biden revoked the project's permit. This new spill is the largest onshore crude pipeline spill in the U.S. since 2010. It is the 22nd spill on the Keystone Pipeline system in its 11 years of operation. And this one is larger than all of of the previous spills on the Keystone
1: system Combined And yet Republicans are still mad That we didn't build the even larger Keystone pipeline
2: Yep in Congress, a new report by House Democrats Exposes a deliberate push by the oil and gas industry To deceive the public about cutting its fossil fuel emissions no. Basically, greenwashing What? A trove of internal documents obtained in a year-long investigation reveal that the oil industry misled the public With a major public relations campaign That advertised a commitment to clean energy While actually investing very little And while making massive investments to Quote lock in continued fossil fuel production for decades to come.
1: Because that's what they do.
2: Now, the oil industry rejects the claims, but the report also details industry efforts to get taxpayers to fund carbon capture projects so profitable oil companies can continue polluting for free. Mm-hmm. And big oil companies are deceptively reshuffling their emissions to smaller companies without reducing their emissions at all. Here's Democratic Representative Ro Khanna of California, on his committee's new report on MSNBC.
1: They can't have it both ways. They can't call themselves clean companies and then commit to business plans to increase CO2 emission. Of course they can. They can do anything they want. They're the most profitable companies in the world, and no one's going to make them do otherwise.
2: And with Democrats losing control of the House in January, this likely marks the end of that investigation. Great
1: news for big oil.
2: Meanwhile, officials still don't know who carried out coordinated attacks on electric grid substations in Moore County, North Carolina, that caused a massive blackout. Electricity has now been restored, but disturbingly, that was not the only attack on U.S. electric grid infrastructure. Over just the last three months, Oregon, Washington, and Florida saw more than a dozen grid attacks and intrusions. Energy experts stress the need to secure the electric grid. The FBI warned last month of heightened risk to the nation's vulnerable electricity infrastructure from right-wing extremists. (laughs) Some good news. Buildings in the U.S. are a significant source of carbon emissions. So last week, the Department of Energy proposed a new rule to decarbonize federal buildings. The new rules will electrify new federal buildings and those under renovation and require federal agencies to slash energy use 30 percent by 2030, but corporate media outlets framed the new rules by focusing on the polluters. Quote, a hit to natural gas, spurring indignation from natural gas companies. Finally, as we go to air, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm is set to announce a major milestone in the decades long quest to create abundant zero carbon clean energy through nuclear fusion. Federally funded scientists, for the first time, have produced a fusion reaction with a net energy gain, meaning the reaction. Produced more energy than the energy required to create it with virtually zero waste. It has been a bit of a holy grail in science. Scientists say this breakthrough is a really big deal for science, but it is still many years away from commercialization.
1: Yeah, but it is a really big deal. If it actually happened. Yep. I guess we'll find out for much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today. Check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. might as well be walking on the sun. Because nuclear fusion... Is what the sun uses yes, to create what, energy.
2: It's what powers the sun and the stars.
1: Now, uh, in fact, it does look like this did happen. It, it is did. apparently a, a huge deal. Really, yeah,
2: it's a big deal for for science, for just scientific inquiry, for hard science, and for you know federal research funding,
1: and for maybe the future of clean energy in uh, well, not these United States, but across the globe. Uh, so uh, the big announcement was made by the. Canadian, U.S. (laughs) Secretary... Canadian-born
2: American citizen, uh, Department of Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm.
1: Right. And here was uh, a part of her announcement.
0: This milestone moves us one significant step closer to the possibility of zero-carbon, abundant fusion energy powering our society. If we can advance... Fusion energy. We could use it to produce clean electricity, uh, transportation fuels, power heavy industry, so much more. It would be like adding um, a power drill to our toolbox in building this clean energy economy. So today we tell the world that America has achieved a tremendous scientific breakthrough. One that happened because we invested in our national labs and we invested in fundamental research and tomorrow we'll continue to work toward a future that is powered in part by fusion energy
1: now i think uh adding a power drill to our toolbox is about the uh, hugest understatement (laughs) i have ever heard to explain something like this. Yeah, but she But, ma- but the yeah. point
2: that she is making is that it's not going to be the only thing. We're not going to throw everything we have at trying to make this thing, which is still more than a decade away from commercialization, that we have other options we're also going to be working on. And I think the, the most important part of this was that it is verifying the validity of federal investment in hard science and research and development because we get stuff that is developed. We get neat new things that are developed out of these these research efforts.
1: And the other thing that's important is that you know it's for real. Why? Well, because, as we discussed at the top of the show, the fossil fuel boys are already (laughs) freaking out about it. Already trying to say, oh, this can never work. Don't pay any attention. Don't look at that man behind the curtain, basically. Yeah,
2: and that is an effort that is ongoing, as we already just covered in the Green News report just now about the House Democrats and their new report that they put out that's showing that the oil industry is still trying to deceive the public, still lobbying to make sure that they get to continue polluting for free. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, all of that requires an absolute willful blindness to the fact that fossil fuels are causing a climate catastrophe.
1: That's what they do. They lie for a living and they kill people. Thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download them all for free anytime at bradblog.com. There is no paywall there. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. It is gratefully, uh, 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 greatly, greatly. <laughs> appreciated, uh, especially those of you who keep us in mind for your end-of-year giving. bradblog.com slash donate, or just go to the blog right there on the top right. There's a nice new tool to make it easy for you to help us out. Thank you in advance. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And I am on the Facebooks, the Twitters, and now the Mastodons oh, yeah. at the Brad Blog. Uh, if you're on Mastodon, find me over there and say hello, will you? All right, that's it. We gotta get out of here. We will see you uh, there at all of the above. Until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You might as well be walking on the sun.
2: son